This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Delivery. so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get reward points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to a Stacey West podcast special. Um, apologies to Ben for this one. I'm kind of hijacking the Stacey West podcast a little bit here uh, to get this out. Um, what's going to follow here is a an audio recording uh, of the interview that we did with Moses Swaybu um, tonight, which is the 16th of April, uh, in which we talked to Moses, uh, or I talked to Moses, about his Lincoln City career uh, and some of the obvious controversies that have followed as well. Um, so it's taken straight from the video, uh, so if there's poor sound quality, my apologies. I haven't got my top man Ben, or our top man Ben, uh, on it tonight. Um, but this is a bit of a, a Stacey West podcast special. Thank you very much. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to uh, another Stacey West live broadcast. Really, really exciting tonight. Obviously, we've only done this in the past for uh, the quiz um, through the podcast. We've had lots of exciting guests on. We've, we've touched uh, on uh, all sorts of topics with uh, the manager. We've had Clive Nates on. Um, we've not had, never had a former player on before. Uh, and tonight, I'm really, really excited to have Moses Swaybu on. Um, just a little bit of background as to how this has come about. Obviously, um, Moses has got a fascinating story to tell. Uh, and over the last six months or so, um, he's uh, he's been quite prominent. I've seen lots of articles. Crystal Palace have spoken to him, um, done, it, done a series of articles. He's been in The Guardian today um, talking about uh, the situation from the past uh, and the excellent work that he's doing right now as well um, with, with young players. Um, it's really exciting to have Moses on. I think it's a time in Lincoln history that we're going to talk about um, that, that probably doesn't get to spoken about quite so much. I think lots of people have got their own opinions on Peter Jackson, a uh, very divisive figure. Some people love Peter Jackson, some people dislike Peter Jackson. So it's going to be nice to hear from a player um, who, who was directly influenced by him. It's Chris Sutton, Steve Tilson. It's an interesting time. And I think now that we're back in League One, uh, it's a time that we can kind of go over that a little bit and... Um, and uh, and work with it. Uh, and obviously, there's other elements that, that, that we're going to discuss with Moses. Um, there was the situation that evolved after he left Lincoln, um, which we're going to discuss. And, and I've just been talking to him off camera, and he's incredibly candid and honest, uh, doing some fantastic work at the moment. Um, we've already got some comments coming in, which is really, really good. I'm looking forward to this interview, as I'm aware of all the positive work he's doing with young players. Uh, absolutely fantastic. Um, and obviously, we will touch a little bit on probably what he's known best for at Lincoln, um, rather rather sadly, uh, which which will be uh, the chicken. But that's by no means defines Moses Swaybu. So I think without further ado, um, we will bring him in uh, and we'll have a chat. So, Moses, good evening. How you doing? How you doing, man? You well? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How are you? You, uh, you feeling good about this? Yeah, yeah, it's been a it's been a busy busy day, man. My phone my phone's been going off for the majority of the day, obviously with the article and everything. But yeah, it's been something I've been looking forward to anyway. 
Excellent. So, of course, I mean, you were in the uh, the Guardian today, and but what I'm going to do, we're going to talk about your career from the start to the uh, right the way through to the finish, or as, as much as we can get in in an hour. Yeah. Um, but just off camera, there, we were talking a little bit about the the obvious issue that people are going to want to hear about, and I just want, uh, in your words, kind of just to clarify that you weren't actually convicted of match fixing for a start, uh, and I'd like you to just to kind of discuss that and the work that you've done since. Yeah. Um. Where Where would you like me to start? Um. I think for me, obviously, it's a it's a period where just to, just before we go any forward, I've had um, numerous amounts of opportunities and interviews that I could have done, especially in relation to Lincoln. Um, I think BBC Lincoln, um, the Lincoln Share Echo, and obviously one of the, the reasons why I wanted to do it with yourself, me and you have been going back and forward on Twitter, and I've got a real genuine connection with some of the fans, maybe not all of them as well. So I said I kind of owe it to the club just because of the love and obviously um, the way you guys have embraced me, especially when um, it was good times as well. So I just wanted to thank you. And obviously I'm very appreciative of you giving me this opportunity. And um, it's one of those situations where I wanted to clear a lot of things up. And I think um, for me personally, anyway, even though the Guardian interviews come out and that's great, but Lincoln and Palace are where my foundations already began anyway. So for me, not only doing this interview as well, but once I've finished with this sector, this hour, I'm not really going to speak about speak about it again to be honest but yeah thank you i appreciate it no no worries at all and so just touching obviously before um before we move on to the uh the lincoln situation we were just talking off air um and some people there is a misconception because you, it wasn't actually match fixing was it that you were um, convicted of yeah um so if i can go back to the beginning um at that time when we were actually charged um, i actually had two criminal trials as well so um the first trial um, i was given a hung jury and i think there was around 15 different indictments on the indictment sheet as well. So whilst we were in court and everyone's barristers were going back and forward, um, I got a hung jury, didn't really know that, what that was, but I knew that I had to come back to court in like the next six months. So the defendants, I think there was five people on that indictment um, and they ended up going to prison. Then like six months later, back to court again for another, I think it was the trial lasted six and a half weeks. And obviously that was with, um, that was a Delray Facey as well. So even though we weren't um, directly convicted for match fixing, um, the the indictment changed to conspiracy to commit bribery. Okay, okay. Now, I mean, I don't want to. I don't personally want to harp on about that, and I'm sure um, the Lincoln City fans would much rather hear. Some of the. Uh, <laughs> Well, let's go right the way back to the beginning, because um, just before you came to Lincoln, people probably don't know your background. Um, you came into football late and then obviously you had um, quite an upbringing with some some real top players. Yeah, yeah. So um, to be honest, I think from, from my environment, I'm South London boy, bred in, bred in and out as well. So, you know, from my community and, you know, when I was growing up, you either done football, done music or you either went the wrong way as well. So between me and my brother... It was my brother that actually got me into football, to be honest. And I know there's times that I don't admit it, but, you know, he was the one, the real big driving force behind me as well. Um, I was travelling from Croydon um, to the other end of South London as I went to school in Fulton Heath. And um, at the time, I was living with my mum in Southwark as well. So coming up and, you know, just being around that environment as well, a lot of uh, people from my generation, like, as you, as you know now, was very much um, street football all across the board as well. So I remember the last year of year 11, um, we played a game against Arsenal, got beaten 8-1. And I think that was kind of the turning point with me because um, I'd been scouted for my county. And um, we had a trial game, done extremely well, that trial, trial game. Got invited for a trial uh, to come back for that season. Um, spent two and a half weeks there. It was very difficult because I was trying to adapt and everything. Then soon, soon as that happened as well, I was given a youth team scholarship. And um, at that period of time, obviously, with the players that have come through, you had people like, um, you know, Victor Moses, um, who else? Victor Moses, Nathaniel Klein, Wilfred Zaha was younger, um, the older people, Tom Sores, uh, Ben Watson, Clinton Morrison was amazing, Dougie Freeman. So it was really that um, contingent of Palace, like legend, basically. And me meeting Gary Izzard at that time, he had just joined the club as well. So within, the, within that two and a half year period, I was the only player that got signed last as well for my scholarship. So um, I've always been someone that can adapt to situations very quick just because of my circumstances as well. So going into Palace, I got over that fearful factor and I was actually doing well, working on my game every day and I was getting noticed. And I always told people I wasn't um, the best uh, talented or gifted, but 
one thing I had was hard work and determination. And obviously the street football helped when I was in Palace as well. And realistically speaking, having those type of players around you, you ain't really got to do much as a defender. You know, people like Johnny Bostock are dropping into midfield. He made his debut at um, 15, could have gone Barcelona, ended up going to Tottenham. Everyone knew Victor was going to be a top player. Nathaniel Klein was the most consistent player in that youth team as well. So every other day was, even though we never won that league at that time as well, but it was very competitive as well. So I developed quite a lot because um, the first team gaffer at the time, Neil Warnock and Peter Taylor, um, when I was in and around the first team, always used to give me video analysis. And um, Gary Izzard always, always, always gave me homework to go home because I was so far behind everyone as well. So every time I was going home, football was basically my life, really. So that was kind of my intuition and in, um, uh, beginning in regards to my Palace career. Then I went on, made my debut um, at 18, uh, played alongside, who was it? I think I came on for Jose Fonte that I was telling you about um, off camera. Um, first team put their arms around me, just like any any other young player um, in that aspect as well. Travelled with the first team to Sweden, um, done really well as well. Um, went out alone for a solitary game for a month at Weymouth, came back and I kind of knew that I weren't at that level that I should be because I just turned 18. Uh, I didn't develop um, in regards to my stature as well. So when I when I got released from Crystal Palace, Neil Warnock was like, look, give me a reason as to why I should come and buy you again because hopefully I see you obviously going on well and um, going to further your career. Excellent, excellent. So um, I seem to, I've, obviously I've listened to quite a bit of your, the stuff that you've done before and when we talk about you coming to Lincoln, um, you didn't have an agent at all, did you? You kind of, you got into Lincoln entirely off your own back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is where the story kind of gets interesting. Um, I actually went to Bromley and I knew that... Um, even though in an arrogant and the most respectful way, but I knew when I went down and dropped that so far down, I knew I was kind of a cut above everyone else. So the gaffer was actually playing me. I'm holding midfield and I managed to develop tenacity, you know, all the attributes that I learned at Palace anyway. So I stood up, but then I realised that I'm doing so well there. I haven't really got an agent. And I remember I had a great friend, Marcus Mensah, um, who's my childhood friend. And he was like, look, why don't we just ring clubs? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, get a list of, every single football league club from championship to league two. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. So I literally wanted the opportunity. That time I weren't thinking about money or anything like that. I just literally wanted to play football because I'd done so well. So I think it was, I can't remember who I spoke to at Lincoln, but Marcus was acting as my agent. He um, he rang uh, the club, asked for a trial, managed to get the trial, took my own money, didn't even know where Lincoln was, got on the train, told my mum, went up to Lincoln, and I think I played against Port Vale at the stadium. And the minute I got there, I was like, wow, like, why is everything so weird? Like, everything was quiet and it, weren't, it was totally different from what I was used to in London as well. So I remember that game. I think it was, um, it might have been Grant Holt, who's the academy? Grant and um, Iffy. Grant Brown, possibly. Yeah, Grant Brown, Grant Brown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One of them might have been at the game anyway, but they were like, yeah, we like you. Um, we've got another game. We're going to, do you want to stay up? Like, Where am I going to stay? So... Lucky I had a friend that was already in Lincoln. So I was staying with him. Then I played another game, I think, on a Thursday, done it well again. Then the gaffer, Peter Jackson, was like, listen, uh, if you play another good game, I'm going to keep you here for the next six months. But at that time, I was going into training, but I was never really fearful um, just because of the environment I come from. And obviously, I think Palace were in the Premier League at that time. So I knew as a defender, I have to go and make my mark. Um, I remember my first training sessions, if I'm being honest, I was like, right, you know what? This is like, with all due respect, it's kind of kind of easy. And I remember me doing that in training. Uh, Jacko was always like, Moses, listen, keep going, man. Keep going. I love what you're doing. And I can tell from like, any any club you go into, there's always um, senior older players are like, what's wrong with this effing, you know, kid like is being busy, so on and so forth. So, you know, for me, it was like when I went into that environment, I thrived from it, to be honest. Um, got to that game. Got to that game. Um, we played... I think it was the old Man City striker, um, the legend, Gota. I think it was Sean Gota. Gota. Yeah, yeah. He was at Warsaw and Gaffer, Gaffer told me, like, listen, Moses, all I want you to do is keep him in your pocket. I went into that game. After that game, he signed me. But these, at this time, I wasn't, um, I never told Bromley where I was. So they're ringing me, or they're ringing my friend saying, hold on, where are you? So on and so forth. And I was telling them, I'll say this, but I didn't know that the club had to put in a seven-day window. So then I said, Gaffer, look, I have to go home. Like obviously the club is like, don't worry about that. I want you to come and sit on a bench with me. At, um, who do we play? Bury. So train with uh, tra- travelled with the first team, sat on the bench, and I was like, 
He's like, how do you feel? I was like, I feel right. Then he's like, yeah, you're going to stay for a long time. So fast forward um, a little bit of a period of time. I remember I signed for Lincoln within two weeks. That situation we probably um, sorted out with my manager at the time. And um, that was it really. So continued doing really well in training. I was probably, when I, when I look back at it now, I was probably like, I probably got under a lot of people's skin. But then I, the only reason why I'd done that, I remember when we used to train for Palace, all the young boys would literally give me the ball. Like, give me the ball. I want the ball. So I was like, yeah, give me the ball. So even though I can tell from people's energy, like, I honestly didn't care. And I kept doing it in training. And Jacko always told me, don't change who you are as a person. Keep getting on the ball. And I remember Danny Home when I came there, he was like, the boy. So fans loved him. And I was thinking that, to be honest, man, he ain't even... I don't think he's better than me, but I'd love to play against him one time. But I didn't realise he'd already had experience. So whereas in training, I'm thinking I'm better than him, but he's already got the mentality because he's played in his environments and games. So originally stuck up a, um, a great relationship with Aaron Brown, Danny and Gesson, and um, Frank Sinclair. So we were playing Morecambe. I was just waiting for my opportunity playing reserve games in Gaffer. I remember Frank Sinko came in um, to train him drunk one time. And he was like, listen... <laughs> Yeah, he was like, listen, he was like, and he had a driver, if anyone at Lincoln remembers, he had a driver, Freddie, that drove him in every day with big orange chair and like, um, he'll always sit in a change room and uh, the cooks will cook him lunch and lunch and dinner as well. So I knew he got under Jacko's skin just because every time Jack, um, Gaffer was angry, his face would go red. Then he was like, listen, baby, F that's like, I don't want to say what he said, but he basically turned around like, yeah, you're in tomorrow. I'm high on confidence now and I was like yeah I'm ready to make my debut but this is when I never used I never really used to get nervous at games but I had anxiety before games building up as well but when I once I crossed that line as well so we're playing Morecambe and it was nothing I've ever experienced in my life the game that I played in I can't remember who played up front first two minutes got an elbow in my head conditions were dire everything I'd been doing in training went out the window because we weren't playing how we weren't like in training and even though we drew, I think, 1-1, I remember coming off that game and I was like, I don't think I've done well because like, the squad didn't really embrace me on my debut like that. No one patted me on the back because I know, obviously, now, or at the time, people are like, flipping out, mate. This guy's probably a training player. He's out of his depth. Then when I got onto the coach and I like, me and Jack always used to smile, like, high-five or whatever, he gave me the coldest stare ever. I was like, fucking hell, man, like, you know? that it's over sort of thing. So I remember, good thing Cinco continued drinking and to be fair, he was having a piss up. So um, I had to play and obviously I was, I was at the back with Honey, but whereas I, I learned how to develop my football intelligence and I was like, you know, what do I need to do to, to survive in these games? Then like, you know, the next 10 games, I remember I joined in January, by April, Gaffer pulled me and was like, listen, Aston Villa and um, Birmingham want to buy you, lad. And them 10 games, I think I've got, I still got the papers at home somewhere, my mum's got them, but those 10 games is probably the best 10 games I've ever played in my life and the rest is history. So for me, it was that transitional um, period because I only had a deal up until six months. And um, a lot of the staff back then in my time will know that Jacko had like some special egg that he used to hypnotise everyone with if he was his favourite. And at the time, like the players were like, yeah, you're Gaffer's son. So I remember I was like, yeah. He sat me down and was like, listen, obviously these bids have come in, but you know, I've showed you loyalty. And he kind of gave me that dad prep talk, I remember. I didn't really ring my friend because I thought, you know what, I'm, I come from a place where it's all about loyalty, respect and love as well. So if he's shown me that and he's given me an opportunity, just like Crystal Palace, I have to pay that back to him. And at that period of time in my head, I'm just thinking, listen, back, I'm about to play in League Two. If they want me now, Arsenal or someone may want me anyway. So that's how I saw it. So without my knowledge and my know-how, he literally said, what do you want? So I was like, a two-year deal. He was like, yep, there's a two-year deal. I'll tell you what, every 10 games you play, your money's going to go up, your accommodation's going to be free, this, that, the third. So I got quite a lot of bonuses on top of my original wage. And I was like, yeah, happy as Larry. Signed the deal. Um, before I signed the deal, I think I went back home, um, come back from, I can't remember where I came back from, but happy, everyone was excited, secured myself. Season started. I remember we went to like, um, pre-season then was like the hardest pre-season I've done. I think we travelled to Germany in a, a concentration camp. Um, from that concentration camp, something I've never experienced. We had to wake up, you know, six o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, do runs. And I was like, flipping on, man. This is, it wasn't like this last season, man. But <laughs> I realised we just managed to stay up anyway. So after that pre-season, hard pre-season, we played, um, had like a good pre-season, so on and so forth. Then 
I remember the season started, Barnet away, I think, was my first game. Played really well. Then after that, I think like a few months later, Jacko got sacked. So, yeah, that was um, Peter Jackson's time. But I'll say like between him and um, if you're Nora, it's like any manager. You're not um, going to be everyone's manager's cup of tea, but he was literally someone that he's the reason why I've done so well in them games. And like, he showed me certain things to develop. And like I was saying to you off camera, I don't think, no disrespect to the club or anyone there, but players have never really got that development as should, as they should need in regards to training schedules, so on and so forth as well. So it's basically like a job. You go, like you turn up, you play something back. Okay, no problem. Tactically, that's what we're going to do on Saturday. That's it. It's up to you to do your own bits and bobs or go to the gym, then everyone goes home after that. So, Jack, I got sacked then. So, I mean, and you must have felt quite comfortable because, I mean, obviously, Aston Villa and Birmingham coming in, who who the bids had turned down, you were young player of the year as well. Did you feel that the fans had taken you um, to heart as well? Yeah, you know what? I think, you know, when, um, you know when you're quite young, especially when I won young player of the year, because I say, like, um, it's like having... It's like having um, a 13, a 12th man on the pitch, and that was the gaffer for me anyway. So I didn't even know I was winning Young Player of the Year, but I remember if you were there at the game, he literally presented it to me before the game, and I was like, right, like, how can I win Young Player of the Year after 10 games? And there's like 30-odd or 40 games to play in the season. So I didn't, it didn't really sink in like that. It's only now I'm obviously older, and I'm like, right, you know what, I've done quite well at that time or whatever. But yeah, after he'd done that, it didn't really sink It only sunk in when he left, and that feeling of, I think one of my when I done my Palace article and um, the academy director was like, when you leave the professional game, it's almost like a feeling of um, grief. And when Jacko left as well, remember that went just with me. So every other um, player in the team, Lincoln at that time when I was there, that was like a real family unit um, in regards to what Ifty and um, Peter Jackson had done, and even little trips like we went camping one time before a game. No one understood why in the hell we're going camping in before game and I hated every single minute of it but it showed me in regards to how much of a family club we had then and a lot of fans will probably know that there's a lot of staff members now that work at the club but these are people that are so important every time I went in um, and got breakfast and lunch and the kitchen staff and you know the way they cook certain things and I'll be like yeah like I'll bring them stuff up from London as well that's what makes you really feel at home so on and so so when a shift a manager goes so there's certain members of the staff and you don't know what's going to happen next. But a uh, good thing, obviously, we had um, senior pros and obviously a lot of um, Scott Kerr, captain of the team, great captain. He kept the glue together. So I remember, I think that was when we signed Delroy Facey and obviously um, uh, Chris Sutton and Liam Pierce took over. So, um, I mean, just to, to finally touch on on Jackson, obviously it was, it was quite a tough summer in terms of recruitment. Um, Obviously, you signed a deal, but he struggled to get a striker, and I seem to remember. Um, but do you think it came a little bit too early? I think he was sacked with us somewhere yeah, 12th yeah, in the table. I actually bumped into um, Ify Onora for the first time in 10 years at um, the PFA. And obviously, Ify's gone on dumb the end of 21s. And I just asked him, I was like, Ify, like, what's happening behind the scenes then? Because um, I, didn't, I really didn't get it. And he literally broke things down to me. And it was like, we had a budget and we tried to get certain players in. But obviously, what happened with the board and everything like that, it just didn't go the way. We felt, and I felt that the squad that we were assembling and so on and so forth. So, me being older and experienced, I see that. So, you're forgetting like a lot of people didn't probably like Jacko the same way I was probably with still um, with Steve Tilson for obvious reasons. But when someone like that leaves the club and there's no replacement or there's no significant person that's been there, done it, wore the t-shirt, everyone's in a limbo. So I know when Chris Sutton joined, I was buzzing. Um, everyone was buzzing when he signed, and obviously he's been so legend um in the game won the premier league you know created that sas um, partnership with um with alan Shearer and blackburn and obviously i knew ian pierce because he'd um, been a center back as well so when they signed i was, I was quite happy to be honest okay and i was just saying how did how did the first few weeks go under sutton because it was a tough transitional time yeah, yeah, um, yeah. lots of new players coming in as well yeah that was like from the pitch um a lot of obviously people my well, friends and family know but a lot of issues off the pitch were occurring as well so that pre-season I missed the whole of pre-season because I was um I was on trial um for an offence that obviously I didn't commit I didn't get convicted for it but I missed the whole of pre-season and whereas um Sutton and Pierce already knew what my potential was going to be they already warmed to me because they said they want to build a young team and potentially bring in loans anyway as well so I remember after I finished court and I drove up um I think Gaffer was like yeah you're going to be captain 
and I literally went into pre-season and like nothing had happened. And one of the main things they said, look, we rate you as a player. That's not going to be in the paper. What happened in that situation? I only think, but, you know, make sure you keep your head down. So um, when they came in, that, that was almost like a confidence. And I remember they spoke to every player anyway. Not every manager gives people that common courtesy to do that as well. So me and Piercy were like, he worked like a player to me. He was almost like a big brother. So even though Sutton was um, very technical and he literally developed players and the Lincoln fans may not know, but David Sommer, even if you ask him, he's one of the reasons why he was firing. And we could have gone down that season if it weren't for obviously his goals as well. So training has gone from here to like through the roof. But then um, you can see uh, Gaffer's or Chris Sutton's frustration because we weren't at the level on the standards of what he was used to. So a lot of the things that he tried to develop in training and, you know, the way he was, and he almost had every one of Peter Jackson's misfortunes and the stuff that he didn't do, and it got passed over because not a lot of players moved. So he brought in Adam Watts, Joe Anderson, uh, Nathan Baker, Chris Hurd from Villa and Fulham as well. And they actually improved our squad, but I'm pretty sure when you guys, or when Lincoln went up, you need a mix and a blend of experience. You're not going to win a league or a championship with young players that haven't got that experience anyway. And Sutton, um, Sutton and Ian Pearce put a lot of faith and belief in us. And we kind of let him down, to be honest, if I'm going to be honest. Do you think, because I mean, obviously you're talking there about the experience as well. I think Scott Kerr was somebody who you've just touched on. Um, he struggled a little bit, I think, under um, Sutton. Do you think Kerr could have had more of a uh, an impact being a senior pro? Yeah, but that's, that's, that's what my point is. Where the new gaffer came in and his technical ability and what he requires from midfielders, I think Curry was getting on anyway, so he couldn't adapt in regards to, okay, he can pick up the ball off the back four, you know, make three or four passes. When so-and-so gets the ball, he needs to be here, he needs to be there. And you're forgetting, if you've not had a football education in regards to coming through specific systems, those are things that are going to be alien because you're conditioned. And Scott Kerr's already a Lincoln legend in his own right, so why should he have to change? So you can see in training and what the gaffer's trying to say to him, there's already an imbalance there. And I know, obviously, previous when Richard Butcher, Butcher was there and Stefan Oaks and Danny and Gesson, you know, Danny was literally flying the flag for that Lincoln team um, when Peter Jackson was there. So you've always got that one-star player. And no matter what, I'm pretty sure Lincoln, when they went up, maybe had one or two, but it's either a striker or a midfielder or a winger. But someone you give the ball and he can win games. So when Gaffer came in, uh, Curry, like, you, you kind of knew that it was done or his time was limited at the club. See, it's interesting because obviously off um, off camera we were speaking about Danny and Gesson, somebody that I rated massively. And you said he's possibly one of the best players you've ever played with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Danny, Danny was a character, man. I think um, one thing you'll find with French French players anyway, they've, all, they've got similar characteristics. But whereas he didn't really know English, like Danny was one of them people in training. Even if even when Gaffer tried to coach him or train him, like he's doing his own thing and. You can't tell someone of that ability to, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, um, drop a shoulder, go this way and go that way when he's going to do it anyway. So the information, and that's football in general, you know, depending on the man management and what you can get. You need to know why players tick and, you know, how you can bring out the best of them. Uh, Jacko done that with me, Annie done it to Danny. Danny, I remember one game, Danny lost his head in the change room and everyone was surprised, like, literally. Um, I think we're losing. Gaffer's told him something and he lost his head. But that was when... Uh, clubs I think Leicester put in a bid so he knew he was going but uh, I think Scott Kerr the one that pulled him aside and was like listen mate I don't care no way you're going like you're here for now and if you don't look at your teammates and you know pull your, pull your weight around then that's the impact that Scott Kerr had on the team and I don't think um, Gaff, well, Chris Sutton may have realised that at that time so amongst the, the union Scott Kerr's the captain but he's the bridge between everybody else because there's still that level of respect that you have to have for him as well so Danny was amazing man He's probably one of Lincoln's best ever wingers, to be honest. Yeah, he's a phenomenal talent. I think he was one of those players that gets you up off your off your seat and um, yeah, yeah, involved in game. I remember playing in games or like being under the caution. I'm like, please, Danny, man, do something. And every time he'd done it, like you know, nine times out of ten it was happening. Or there was times where I was playing centre back with Janos, and I'm like, Janos, and Gaff always used to tell me, speak to him, speak to him. Yeah, he's big and strong, but he don't like people running in behind, strikers going in short, and it's like, I wasn't really that physical, so he done all the physical side. I remember, I think we played an FA Cup game, and we dug out the result, nil-nil, uh, and literally the last two minutes, I don't know what Janos had done, he's gone tight, strikers spun in, 
hit us on a counter attack and we lost. And I was like, fucking hell, man. Sorry. Yeah, I was like, effing hell. You're right, no worries, no worries. Effing hell, like, half. But he cost us. So um, it's just different with players, really. Different with players. You know, Paul Green at that time, Aaron Brown. Obviously, Cinco left, but if it weren't for him leaving, I may have not got my chance. Rob Burke, um, uh, our old Tottenham goalkeeper as well. We had a good squad then. Obviously, Lee Frecklin and, um, went and left as well. And Adrian Pachula, he was decent mm-hmm. as well. So he 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 done well under under certain training regimes and and so on and so forth. Because obviously, I mean, obviously back in the reign of Jackson a little bit now, but with Pachulia, he was a massive fan's favourite, but he never seemed to gel with Jacko. And it, it struck me that Jacko was kind of like Marmite. You either loved him and, and were on his side or hated him, one of the two. Yeah, yeah I think um, as, a, as a fan of football myself, you and obviously playing the game, it's very hard for managers to gel with technical players like that. So Peter Jackson, you, you didn't really see pretty football at Lincoln at that time. So it's very hard to adapt to Adrian Pachulia's game or we're training but we're not getting the training to get the best out of him. It's only for specific players, if that makes sense. So yeah. it didn't really click. But I'll tell you one thing, when David Sommer and Ashley Grimes came in, Sommer in that team, if Lincoln had signed him, he would have probably won the league next season. Just off his so, I mean, as a centre-half, obviously, you had, you had to face him in training as well. And he's one of the lone players, I think, from Chris Sutton's time that really stands out. Was he, I mean, was he that good at training as well? Yeah, yeah. You know what you find with... Um, do you know what's really weird? It's like... David, it's his movement more than anything. And it's like, he's not really someone that causes you problems in play. But if he's in that 18-yard box, oh my God, he's something else. And it just goes to show the level of where he's come from because anything between the posts, whipped across the box, and if he gets a yard, so the higher up you play, for example, every game we lost, and this was demoralising for the squad, every game we lost um, under Sutton, we'll go to Aston Villa Reserves and play them on a Tuesday, or on a Thursday, every single time. And he'll specifically turn around and say, listen, David, you ain't got to play. Um, you ain't got to play. You ain't got to play. You won us the game on Saturday. So imagine the rest of the squad's like, is he taking like, liberty sort of thing as well? So that was demoralising for the squad as well. And, um, you know, for me, striking up the bond with Ian Pierce, obviously because of the situation and my situation that was happening off the pitch, he got me out of jail so many times. Not literally, but, you know, figure of speech-wise, like so many times. And, um, you know, me... Um, being in and around Lincoln and, you know, getting up to whatnot off the pitch as well. It didn't really help my situation on the pitch um, when things started to go wrong. I'd say, because, I mean, that was a, a tough season for you. I mean, there was a lot of decent players come through, but the Chris Sutton season, you perhaps weren't quite as reaching the heights that you did in the uh, in your first 10 games. I mean, what were the, the kind of reasons behind that? Yeah, you know, um, with Chris Sutton, I think me missing pre-season later on kind of affected my performances because I dipped and... Um, one thing that dipped as well, we we had to play um, Villa Reserves all the time. They whipped us every single time. Um, the squad was imbalanced as well. Um, I think, yeah, Delray may have been captain as well. So if all the lone players were performing and they got injured as well. So for me, coming, I was in and out of the team anyway. And I'm not trying to make any excuses because I hold my hand up and I was like, you know what? Me as a professional, it probably wasn't as good as what I should have been considering what I'd done and the heights I could have reached as well. And at the time when Chris Sutton was in, you can see his frustrations because the longer he kept trying and trying, I think his last few months at the club, he was like, come training, yep, young the old, and he would just walk off. So when we're going into games, no one actually knows what they're doing as well. So he, he, to be fair, he, I won't say he gave up, but his standards were so high, no one really got it. And how can Chris Sutton be almost 40 and he's still the best striker in the team? You know, it didn't make any sense. <laughs> no, I mean, because obviously he tried with a... Uh, the following season, he tried to pick up a couple of strikers like Sir Ben Hutchinson and Drew Broughton. I mean, they were both quite physical strikers. What what were they like yeah, behind yeah, the yeah. scenes? Were they tough? I think, I think on a on a personal level, it's like Ben came from Celtic, so he came obviously he came with an ego, and Drew's a very honest pro, but his legs were probably going at that time as well. So for for Drew Broughton as well, it wasn't the best partnership because there was no synergy there. There was no synergy in training. Um, I think Ben played the solitary strike on his own, couldn't find his form. And remember, because he's come from a high level, training gets frustrated when you're not getting a ball or when the team's not playing for you and you're having arguments with people and you're having arguments with the captain as well. And the last thing in football you can do because everything's really clicky behind the scenes and not everyone likes everyone is upset the wrong people and you're just secluded out of the squad anyway. So for him, Ben knew that he's going back to Celtic anyway. He hasn't really got um, a permanent stay or a permanent contract at the club and to be fair to Drew 
he literally tried his best, man. And it was just um, a bad period for him because him trying his best, it just didn't go for him. And you know, strikers, like, once they stop scoring, confidence goes out the window. Because obviously, um, so the end of the, the season, obviously, David Sommer kept us up. Um, Chris Sutton brought in some players like Mustafa Carriol, Albert Jarrett, again, tar- talented players. Um, and then Chris kind of packed it in after a, a couple of weeks. I mean, did you see it come in? Was it a decision that you expected? Yeah, to be fair, I remember I'm the one that kind of encouraged Musta to sign for Lincoln. He's one of my best friends, even now to this day as well. And him and Albert Jarrett, I remember um, when they were both playing in the wing play, he kind of wanted to emulate um, Barnett with Adoma and Yannick Bellassi as well. They're very similar in regards to their play as well. So the times we were grinding that results were kind of uh, to them. And obviously Albert was literally fr- probably the best form he's even had. And I remember those games, he played Akron and Stanley and literally... Sutton was like, Albert's our best player, give Albert the ball. And that again created another imbalance in the squad where one game, uh, Gaffer turned around and was like, listen, you owe absolutely everything to Albert. You're all effing this and you're all S this and this and that. And he lost the dressing room then. And But me and Piercy still had a great relationship anyway. And um, a lot of things that I should have probably known, um, uh, Ian Pierce told me anyway. So I think the week before... Um, uh, Chris Sutton was leaving. Piercy rang me and I was like, listen, Moses, you've been fantastic for us. Um, I know you've had your, your issues and stuff off the pitch, but yeah, we're leaving this week. So I didn't tell no one. Then the date happened. Everyone was like, here we go again. But um, even, at, even at that period, so a lot of um, the Lincoln City fans, I don't know whether the chicken situation happened then, but I remember um, no, it happened Steve Tilson's first uh, few months, few months there, but um I said it in the article today that um, when Ian Pearce and the reason why I stayed in the team and done so well, there was a certain situation um, after the AFC Telford game, we won 3-1 mm-hmm. and uh, Ian pulled me aside and was like, listen, your house is going to get raided on Monday morning. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, what for? He was like, listen, I don't know whether you're, you've got anything in your house or what you're doing, but, you know, I, know, I definitely know it's the people you're around, but, you know, I'm just letting you know, Monday morning, um, the Lincolnshire police raided my house, didn't find anything, but at that time, a lot of things were happening off the pitch that kind of weren't out of my control, just who I was associated with anyway. And from that association, there was already a stigma within Lincoln about myself as well. So I remember I, got, I started getting stopped a lot. So um, New York Northgate, can't remember how much parking tickets I, I'll get, but, you know, driving through there and like I'm one mile per hour off, police pull up. Yeah, we know who you are, so on and so forth. I go to the local um, um, Italian. I don't know if you're still there um, in the city, but... I'll go there, park my car up. Yeah, how you doing, Moses? Like, can we ask you questions? And I remember that specific season before they left. Um, I think it was DC Moxon, Lincoln. He rang me and he was like, look, obviously we know what's happening. We know it's not you, but you kind of have to help us with our inquiries. Rang Ian Pierce, and he was like, look, don't ever ring our player again. And that's actually facts. You know, I spoke to Ian Pierce the other day and if anyone ever wanted to check that out, then that's, there's my point of reference. But from that situation as well, I think it was a few months after they left. I can't remember the times. I literally used to live in um, a Gable Crescent opposite the opposite the training ground. And okay, if you yeah. know Highcombe Tesco's, it's like literally around the corner. Moss, Moss, um, Moss Kean Hewton and Joe Anderson were in the house, gone and, gone and done my shopping, literally bought everything. Security guard stopped me and was like, listen, you ain't paid for something. I was like, I've got my shopping, what did I pay for? Had money on me, so on and so forth. I remember I was on the phone to my sister and she was like, look, like, just stay there and deal with it because of who you are. But the police were called without any questions asked. They came, put the handcuffs on. This is when Steve Tilson was there as well. Um, had a, I don't think I even met him. So the next day I went in, I was like, look, Gaffer. He was like, I already know Swaby, but I'll be talking to you later. Next day I've got in, he was like, yeah, look, obviously we already know about your situation. I remember I told you at the beginning of the conversation that how my contract was situated. I was living rent-free because of the deal that I signed with Jacko. My money was going up every appearance I made. I made a considerable amount of appearances, so I was one of the higher earners at the team. And it was like, look, you're not part of my plans, which was fair enough. And it was like, look, obviously this situation happening now it doesn't look good, regardless of whether you've done it or you didn't. And it's probably best you find another club. And I remember at that time, Delroy was captain. So I've gone, spoken to Delroy, and Delroy was like, don't worry about that. Like, I'll sort it out. And we had Ashley Grimes, David Sommer, Chris Hurd, Nathan Baker. There was like five low knees, and the, the club was sponsored by the Lincolnshire Echo. And I don't know if you remember... But that year, there was a boycott of um, the Echo. And Delroy literally rallied everyone up. was like, listen, it's effing swearing, swearing what happened to me. And, like, you know, we've got to back our player. No one's doing any interviews. 
one week past, two weeks past, started training with the youth team, reserves first. Then the youth team used to train um, by Newark Northgate and in, in some school as well. So I never had an agent at that time as well. So I rang the PFA and I'm like, I don't know whether this is normal, but, you know, it's been a week, this is what's happened. I'm like, look, obviously, you've got, you're under contract, don't worry about it. But whereas my situation got worse, my legs were on the pitch, but my mind was somewhere else. So wasn't fit, weren't any reserve games. And this is no... This ain't me trying to, you know, sound big-headed or anything like that as well, but my confidence was gone and I was thinking, you know what, my time's up at the club anyway. So um, after that situation had happened, literally, obviously all the banter's flying, ha-ha, Moses, she stole the chicken, I knew what happened anyway. And I was like, you know what's really weird? How can the Lincolnshire Echo that sponsors the club have that in the paper? Because when I had my other situation, obviously that guy for kept it up, this one don't like me, yeah, I'll get it and everything like that as well, but I literally didn't do anything or steal the chicken quote-unquote. So after that period went on, my situation off the pitch in regards to who I was around, started distancing myself from a lot of people then. Training, I just I literally stopped caring. There was times I was late. I remember me and Muscle tell you this as well, but we had a training session one time and me and Muscle going at it in training, going at it in training. Muscle is one of my best mates and I lost a, I lost a five, um, you do like a game where it's one person in the middle and I lost freezing cold. You know how the, um, the weather's like in Lincoln? And Gaff was like, yeah, wash everyone's boots. And I was like, I'm not doing it. This is in front of the whole squad after everything was happening. He's like, yeah, wash everyone's boots. I'm like, I'm not doing it. So then he's like, wash everyone's boots. Then I literally walked out of training and went home. And he was like, you never play another game for the club and you're going to get fined. I was like, no problem. I've already spoke to the PFA. Then literally, I think it was the next month. So they've given me no further action for the chicken. And they re-arrested me without arresting me physically and said, yeah, we're going to charge you for stealing a, a newspaper. And no one even knows this. Not only did they say I, um, I stole a newspaper, but they said I stole a chicken. But this is all a month apart of each other. What's a newspaper? 20p. Uh, chicken at the time, like £2. And I'm one of the highest paid players at Lincoln. And I'm on camera. And I live across the road. Like, it don't take a genius to work out, you know, and uh, the story that was happening. So after I was arrested for stealing a newspaper, they reprinted um, Moses Fabian Still's newspaper, but they didn't print that I got no further action and they never charged me for the newspaper, for the chicken. So I was like, you know what? I'm like, it's over. I remember going back home. I'm like, Moss, I'm leaving. Then I remember the day of the transfer deadline, um, Gaffer called me after I finished training and um, I trained with the youth team, came back up and the club gave me four different offers. Um, yeah, they gave me four different offers and each one of those offers, my money kept going up. That's how much they wanted me to go. That's how much they wanted me to go. And they were like, yeah, you know what? And I, I knew I was going to go, but you're, you're forgetting a lot of people that come from my background and my environment. Those things didn't really faze me because of how we've grown up and the people we've been around. And, you know, unfortunately, I haven't got people here that are, that are, that are even alive today. So that was a situation that was tough. But I just thought, you know what, Gaffer, with all due respect, you're a bit of a dickhead. So I've left, yeah, I've left, 11 o'clock's come in, I'm playing FIFA with the boys and they're like, Mo, what are you going to do? And the fifth offer's come in and they're like, yeah, look, that's how much we're going to give you. And I was like, fucking hell, man. Like, yeah, see you later, mate. So I had to rush to the training, I had to rush to the, um, to the stadium and this was like late. I was thinking, why are all the lights on in the office? There was like four members of staff there and I was like, raw, they must have really wanted me to go. So I was like, yep, sign on the dotted line, um, left. I think I left the following morning. So I drove up. No, I left the night. So this is 12. Got back to London at half three. My mum's like, what are you doing here? I was like, yeah, I left Lincoln. I remember she didn't even know about this whole chicken situation either. Um, she works all the time anyway. So the day I left Lincoln and I got my severance pay um, contract was terminated. Woke up in the morning. The money that they'd given me was in my account straight away. And I was like, right, okay. Then the week, following week, all charges were dropped. So they dropped the chicken and they dropped the newspaper. And I was like, you know what? That stigma's always been there, but this is the first time I've ever spoke about it. And I was like, for me, in hindsight, looking back, this is why I wanted to do that interview because people can think what they want and, you know, people can give their opinions because football does that. But the fact of the matter, everything I'm saying is 100% kosher and it's backed up. And if you ever get the chance to speak to Sutton, if you see him or speak to um, Ian Pierce, you know, they'll tell you that. Well, that's, uh, I mean, first of all, thank you. But you know the funny the funny side of it, obviously now me and you are going back and forth on Twitter and I'm still getting used to this whole social media stuff, but one of the directors, um, Amanda Lindsay, like you know, you can see like um you type in my name and I'm like going through messages and she was like, ha ha, like you stole a chicken or something. I was like, oh? 
I've looked, I'm like, how can a director of football say that? But I was like, I saw the funny side of it, but then I don't see the funny side of it because as a football fan and as an Arsenal fan, I will never say that about my club. But then again, each to their own, you know? I think, I mean, to be honest, even for me, it's fascinating. Because obviously, we haven't spoken off camera about uh, the story either. And I'll be entirely honest, when I first told my dad uh, I'm going to be interviewing Moses Swaybu, the first thing he said was chicken. Didn't think about any of the stuff that's even come after. He said chicken. Yeah. And I, I just, I personally, I want to just say thank you for your absolute honesty. Um, but it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like it was a, a really tough time for you, to be honest. And it's yeah, ironic. I think, um, sorry to cut you off, but no, yeah. I'll, I'll say this. Was it a tough time? 100%. And obviously we've spoken off camera, so there's certain legal stuff in regards to that situation that happened that I can't really go into. But 100% you're going to see maybe next year or after this corona stuff, a lot of things will come out. But just going back to that situation, and obviously it will tie into what I'm doing now, but I'll say this a lot of the time. I know um, you guys had a player. Um, Bradley Wood that was done for spot fixing or match fixing and um, he got six and a half years because he'd done that at that game and we used that or the Premier League and the FA used that as um, education for the younger players but my point is when you're put in a situation as a young professional and someone's either shown something to you or someone told you not to say something from where I'm from you're not doing it and even in certain aspects it don't only happen now but it's happening at the highest level of football in regards to what these players are battling on and off the pitch. So, you know, for anyone that knows what happened at that time and the people that personally know me, which is more important, they know what happened. So for me, I take their opinions and I take what they think in regards to how I behave and what I do. But I'll turn around and say, you know, for not that I'm trying to glorify or justify what had happened, but that situation clearly didn't happen at Lincoln. But I was even made a choice to either go to the gaffer, but guess what? Obviously, you guys know that that player played in the Premier League. He was captain of the team. And even off the pitch, like I say, like he'd done so much for me in regards to what happened at that situation with the paper when I left. And we've always kept in contact. And li literally, what um, yesterday, I had a two and a half hour phone conversation. I was like, you know what? It's been so long now, but we kind of have to sit down and speak about something just to show people, not only Lincoln fans, but no matter where you're coming from and, um, you know, whatever you've overcome, this really, this these type of things shouldn't phase us. Even if they thought I stole a chicken, that like, I'm not going to lose no sleep over it. You know, I'm pretty sure my my family are, are happy, safe, roof over their head. So, you know, um, ten years on now, in 2020, Lincoln have done amazing things. You know, they've been promoted, they've got back into the league. But I'll say, with all due respect to um, Steve Tilson, it just goes to show what type of manager he was. Because since Lincoln, what managing jobs has he ever had apart from him doing really well at Southend? And like I was telling you off camera. You know, when you're in change rooms and when you're in football as well, and when you're when you break up a family or when you break up players, as a manager, you you have to take action, just like I've taken action and I've owned up to my mistakes. And all you needed was one point out of God knows how much in ten games for the team to survive. So the team knew he was panicking. My situation happened. Kean Hewton, you know, there were so many things that happened with him, and he was one of the best professionals. He got let go. Adam Watts was here he could have played even higher than what I was quality defender he got let go Danny Hone Danny Hone was one of Lincoln's in my opinion even though we were rivals and like he was amazing you know obviously Aaron Brown left as well but for the younger players there like my thing is we had Sam Klukas he was probably one of the best players in Lincoln City's youth team that I had ever seen me personally and whoever the manager was at the time that didn't give him an opportunity look where he is now Lee Frecker, yeah, and I said to myself, it's like, no disrespect to the club, but when you're playing for lower level teams, you don't get that development. And I always turn around to young professionals or young aspiring professionals. I'm like, listen, if you're not doing all the things you need to do when you get to to um, to become a professional opportunity, don't think you can go to League One or League Two and it's just going to click off your ability as well. So, you know, hence obviously why football now, especially where my environment in London and South London is changing and obviously... I've got a grassroots team where two players within 18 months, one's gone to Charlton, made his debut, and one's gone to um, Reading. And I don't even have, you know, I ain't got Lincoln behind my name. You know, we're called Rocker Seniors, and what we're able to do is provide that care that Peter Jackson gave to me, provide that care that Palace gave to me, you know. And I know, obviously, it's, it's, um, it's um, come down to recruitment and areas as well, but Lincoln's an absolutely amazing club, and they've got great people there. And, you know, from me going to the cathedral, being around the town, you know, knowing shopkeepers' names by chance, people knowing where I live, 
you know, the the it was only one manager and situations that were at my fault because I can control what's happening off the pitch, you know. And you know, I always have a, a place in my heart for for Lincoln City and a club, and I still keep up to date with all the with all the results. It's fantastic. I, I mean, obviously, we we've gone through some questions uh, beforehand. I'm just interested. Do you think if Peter Jackson had stayed at the club, things would have mapped out significantly differently for you, even through the problems that you had off the field with with Chris Sutton being there? Um, yeah, yeah. But um, I'll, I'll say I know obviously Jacko had his own um, health issues as well, so part of football and obviously managed, even with still Steve Tilson, I didn't know what he was going through, um, you know, off the pitch. So I don't put only the blame on him, but as well, but how well do you really know somebody unless, you know, they actually sit down with you and they actually explain to you what's happening as well. And any manager in football will tell you that. I think the Cowley brothers, them two alone, without me even knowing them, it just seems like that family's back together with players that believe in that team, the club, the manager, the staff, everyone around it, the fans. So there's a reason why the team climbed up. Cowley's gone. Guess what happens? The team takes a dip in form. You end up at the bottom of the league. That's just football. So, you know, for me, knowing all these things as well, it's, it's, it's a fantastic opportunity because at least the fans get to hear an insight. Obviously, from my situation, everyone's got um, a story to tell and everything like that as well. Uh, we've had a couple of questions come through um, and a couple of comments as well. I thought this one was quite nice. Moses is the voice that football needs. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I think I think yeah. what that is, I think that's coming from from like you say, from the real background, from understanding the Premier League youth setup, and then coming down yeah, to Lincoln as well. You've got quite a unique um, set of circumstances and experience that you can now pass on, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think even off camera, when you messaged me yesterday, and you're like, I'm watching Top Boy, and you're getting used to the lingo and everything. But you got to realise um, <laughs> there's a reason why, obviously, London and South London is now the hub of um, you know where talent and recruitment. Every single academy in the country top tier anyway or tier one they want to know what's happening in South London why is it there there's no different you look at my generation and the players that have come through but you look at players like Jaden Sancho Reese Nelson you know Alex Awobi and all these amazing young professionals that are 18 19 getting opportunities the reason why you know it's, it's mentally you know and for me it's like it's about the guidance and the support that we're able to give amongst our own community and I can guarantee if every club kind of developed the same thing and put money towards grassroots Kids are just looking for opportunities. And for me, like we we're speaking off camera, but the reason why I've been successful at the work that I've, I've done, I'm coming from a real place. And I said it like one of my first ever sessions was going into United when Chong was on the bench and um, Angel Gomez. And I think even Marcus Rashford was in, in that session. But as an Arsenal fan, I didn't even know who they were. So when I started speaking and they saw the video, I weren't really expecting them to ask me the question they did. And I was like, hold on a minute. Like, I only played in League Two and played X amount of games. But over that, it's the connection I have because we all come from the same places, you know. I definitely wasn't born with a silver spoon and a lot of these footballers' stories, they weren't. But now they've got the support and guidance. And like I said to the PFA, I've had plenty of amounts of, you know, heated discussions with senior management and executives, not only at the PFA and the Premier League, but that's because I'm passionate about what I do and I actually care the fact that I wouldn't want any other player to be in my situation and go through the stuff that I've gone through if somebody can help it and it can be saved. Cool, thank you. Uh, a couple of other questions that have come through. I can't find it, but I did see it come through. Um, who would you have classed as the best player that you played with at Lincoln? Um, at Lincoln, I'll say, you know what? It's going to be surprising to people here, yeah, but and I know Danny's my mate and David Sommer done it, but I'll say Scott Kerr. Scott okay. Kerr, I don't, I don't even mean that in ability, but I mean... For example, I go into every single Premier League club over the past four years, and I'll tell you one thing. There's a difference with Sheffield United. Um, there's a difference with all these clubs that are really family-knit clubs. And even though you're yeah, Arsenal, everything's great, but certain players bring out the best in people. And Scott Kerr's presence and what he does on the pitch and off the pitch and him just being a great human being, who won't want to play for him? Me going in as a young boy and, you know, he's trying to smash me. And he's like, oh, you've got a bit of attitude, but I like that. Because I'm coming into his team, not the other way around. So Scott Kerr had the biggest impact, not only on myself, but if you ask the players from my generation, if they don't say Scott Kerr, then they're lying. Because he, he was someone that, you know, even to this day, I haven't seen him or anything. But I'll say the best player I played with at Lincoln, Scott Kerr. And of course, Tilson gave him away as well, didn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's not... Let's not... Let's not, um, let's not fly the Tilson. We hate Tilson, Banner, you know. It's just, oh, I think that's already... 
I think that's already been flown, Moses, to be honest. <laughs> I think that's done and dusted. Um, right, well, we're, we're approaching eight o'clock, so um, we said we were going to wrap it up. Um, just um, a little bit about the work that you're doing now. So you touched on it there with Man United, but you're basically going into Premier League clubs and talking uh, to young yeah. players about your experiences. Yeah, um, it's a bit. that's a bit vague, but um, long story short, um, my company now uh, directly going into... Premier League clubs, obviously myself being a representative of my company, but developing programs and educational programs for different skills. So at the Premier League clubs, a lot of these players are either earning high liquidity and a lot of mental health stuff, but match fixing and betting are literally rife in football. Um, you know, from our case with Delroy and obviously Michael Botang as well, a lot of the rule changes would have changed. I think you guys would have seen um, Daniel Sturridge's story, obviously the player at Lincoln, um, who's obviously used in an educational video as well, but it is compulsory across the whole of football in regards to the Premier League. But now, um, because of the work that not only I've done, but collectively as a unit, working alongside the FA, the Premier League and the PFA as well, it's now a thing where European clubs are now you know, sending X amount of emails every other day asking us about the integrity side of the business that we do and the consultancy work that we're doing for these associations as well. So a f quite a few big companies have been in contact as well, but it's about me spreading the message, not only to the Premier League, because... We're being honest. What are the chances of they're gonna fall and you know start gambling and matrixing? It's more lower down. Obviously now um, you see a quarantine um, now, but you know a lot of lower level clubs are gonna be affected, and these people are still operating and they're gonna. There's gonna be even more of an influx to not only try and poison the game as well, but I'm now in a position where I can turn around and say, hold on, at least you're getting an education. So if you get an education, don't do what I done because I never got it. So if you turn around and make the wrong decision, you may end up in prison or you may end up losing your career. And it does happen. Obviously, it's not really publicised like that as well, but players are getting banned behind the scenes. And, you know, for the work I've done, obviously I'm retired as well, so I can speak freely about certain things within the legal parameters of what I'm allowed Wonderful. Look, thank you very much, Moses. What I'm going to do uh, in a second is, is drop you off the screen, but we'll chat um, after the show. Um, yeah. But like I said, I just want to thank you massively uh, for being so, so candid with us, uh, getting loads of feedback. We had um, at one point over 100 viewers, and that will obviously grow over the uh, over the coming weeks. So um, just thank you very much, and from all the fans, all the best, all the best for the future, my friend. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to. I wanted to say. I know I keep saying it as well, but you know, I'm very humbled in regard to the position that I'm in, and. Um, just the way that I've managed to, prison was actually one of the biggest learning curves for myself and me going to Lincoln and not only being at Palace and winning awards and honours, but my career was obviously cut short, but it just goes to show that no matter what you can do, it's not football or playing football is not the be and end all, you know, and even as, even as Lincoln fans and every fan that's watching it, you know, stick behind your club, man, because like, you know, in good times, there's always bad times and it works hand in hand, so you reap what you sow. And for everyone that's watching as well, hopefully me and Delray obviously get to sit down. And I know there's a lot of questions and stuff that I can't really go into as well, but that's going to be really insightful and hopefully inspirational as well, because I don't know what he's going to say. And, um, he, you know, we spent two months in prison, sleeping next to each other every day, going back and forward, hearing different things in Birmingham. And it just goes to show how much um, football brings you together in any circumstance. You know, and he's a big advocate for, you know, redemption and he's doing positive things as well. So hopefully you guys can see everything. Smashing. And just very before we go, I've seen three or four things come through uh, about the Ali poster in the background. Is uh, is Ali a particular role model, people are asking? Oh, in my background? Oh, Ali? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah Mohammed. yeah, man. It's something that um, I, I wake up, I'm in my living room at the moment as well. But, you know, it's just a bit of um, a bit of inspiration and, you know, him leaning over. To be fair, when you look at things, it paints a hundred words, but even though I'm not Muhammad Ali, but the person that he knocked out is probably on the floor, knocked out thinking about what is he gonna do the next chapter of his life. So there's a there's a lot more to that to that picture as well. So I thought let me get in there and set everything up, man. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Look, thank you very much, Moses. I'll chat to you again in a second, but it's been absolutely yeah. superb. All right, thank, thank you, mate. I appreciate it. Thank you everyone for tuning in as well. Will do, thank you. Thank you. Right, so that was Moses Swaybu. That was Absolutely phenomenal. Um, thank you, everybody that watched. Obviously, I'll, I'll have a chat with Moses in a second. Um, really, really insightful, I think. Uh, a real um, a real glimpse into not just life behind the scenes at Lincoln, but I think we found out a little bit more about Moses. 
um, and obviously some situations which perhaps for the best part of a decade we've had we've had the wrong idea about um you know really um warm intelligent approachable man uh, and you know obviously we wish him all the best look thank you everybody for watching the comments have, have, have been flowing through we'll i'll review those we'll do an article on this it'll be up on the website uh, i'm hoping to probably put it up on youtube as well so it can be um it can be viewed far and wide as it should be uh because people should listen uh, they should listen to Moses' story, um, even right up to the end with the talk about Ali there. It's uh, it's um, it's fascinating. It really is. So look, thank you very much. Hopefully we'll do some more broadcasts soon. I will be in contact about when we do the, uh, the quiz, uh, which will be over the weekend. Uh, but for now, thank you very much and uh, speak to you soon. Goodbye. It's the 90th minute and all your mates around watching the imps on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share boxes on the go. Your mate's already got booked for double dipping, but then you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.